If you go to the Living Center, I don't understand how people could go back to living the way they before. And I was like, this is so cool because now we're going to have this common language. And and even though our experiences are going to be completely different, we're going to have those awareness and we're going to be able to have these discussions where it's like, oh yeah, I had this breakthrough in this. And that's, that's the gift really of doing healing together, which is incredible because it's very rare too. There's a lot of people that are very resistant to change. And I'm just grateful that she loves me enough to let me change and that we change together. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, a show from the humans at OnSite. If you're new to this space and just beginning this journey, we hope these episodes are an encouragement, a resource, and an introduction to a new way of being. And if you're well into your journey and perhaps even made a pit stop at OnSite's Living Centered program or one of our other experiences, we hope these episodes are a nudge back towards the depth, connection, and authenticity you found. In this season, we sat down with a dozen of our favorite experts and emotional health sojourners to dig into the topics that are top of mind for all of us. Transition, relationships, trauma, just to name a few. Part practical resource and part honest storytelling that will have you silently nodding along, me too. This podcast was curated with you in mind. So with that, let's dive in. Hi, friends. I'm excited about today's episode because we get to sit down with two on-site alum, Chrissy and Sam Powers. Chrissy is a therapist um, and Sam is in the wellness space as well. And they just had a really powerful conversation. They talked a lot about connecting with yourself, but also doing that in the context of a relationship. And kind of the joking way that I put it is, how do I care for the me and the we? Like, they really are advocates for doing your own work and leaning into that. And this interview is, it just made me obsessed with both of them, honestly. Chrissy and Sam are amazing. Like, and it really is like so vulnerable and tender to let people sort of behind the curtain of your relationship Mm -hmm and how it's been in harder seasons, and then how it is now in a real, but more beautiful and flourishing season. And so I just am really grateful for their honesty and their willingness to let us all learn from them and the power of doing your own work and Mm -hmm. how that can like just bless your relationships. Yeah, well, meet Chrissy and Sam. Well, welcome, friends. I am so excited to be sitting down with Chrissy and Sam today. Y'all, thank you for joining us. Thank Thank you. you. Excited to be here. Yeah, I am just excited for this conversation. I think uh, as two alum who we have heard a fair amount from and gotten to know your story in different contexts, I'm excited to just dive more into who you are as people and maybe this journey that you guys have been on to reconnect with yourself and reconnect with one another and all of that. So let's start with a really easy question. What does being connected look like for you on a daily basis? It's just like we're just, I'm just selling you a softball. (laughs) (laughs) On a daily basis. On a daily basis. You know what I think? Being connected for me means intentional about the way you show Mm -hmm. up for your wife, your kids, and yourself. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something that I I didn't know how to show up for myself before Living Centered. Like, I, I didn't know what that meant. I mean, I'd, I've heard the term, but being connected is not only serving the people that are in your life by choice and by family, but it's also learning just simple things of like going, how am I feeling? How am I doing? Mm-hmm. Um, where am I at today? Am I feeling anxious, scared, frustrated, tired? And, and just even that awareness yeah. Like was something that was completely new to me. Yeah. Mm. I think for me, being connected daily is being able to be vulnerable and not feel judged by my partner. And like he knows how to ground me and that we're a team together. So I think before onsite, we struggled with being on the same page or being a team. And we struggle to understand or have empathy for one another as much. And so mm-hmm. now he has a lot more empathy for me when, say, I have an anxious day or he'll just say, okay, go ground yourself, go take some deep breaths. Like, you've got this. Like, so it's like he knows like actual things to tell me that actually 
help me feel more calm. And so then I'm like, okay, I feel like he is definitely my partner, like in this, yeah. not, I don't have to do or be my best self all the time in front of him. She's essentially reading our text messages from yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) That was it. I got a text and she was like, I'm feeling really anxious today. And I said, okay. I said, it's okay. Just feel those Mm -hmm. feelings. Maybe take some deep breaths, maybe meditate for even five to 10 minutes and just remember it's okay to feel that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And giving that permission to feel that anxiety. And then he'll be like, check your cycle app. Where are you? (laughs) Very smart. Very smart. That is so perfect. Sam, what you said about sort of the feeling stuff, not even kind of being on your radar Mm, um, pre your living centered experience really resonates with me. And I, I feel like I had sort of a similar experience that up until you know, I hit sort of middle age, my coping mechanisms worked enough that like, I was like surviving with all these things happening under the service that I just had no awareness of. And um, the Living Center program was sort of the beginning of sort of like unearthing some of that stuff for me, which was helpful. So I'm curious for you that pre-period, pre-onsite, pre-Living Centered when you were oblivious, what did like disconnection look or feel like for you? Mm. And how did that show up both for yourself and in your relationships? Oh, this is, this is great. Cause <laughs> I think, so I'm in a, if you guys don't know the Enneagram numbers, like I'm a one, which means okay. I'm like very like, you know, I, I try to build systems to serve my life. The problem was, yeah. is that sometimes when you are in like survival mode, building those systems, you simply get into that system and forget that you're human. Mm. And, and, and the coping mechanisms that come with it, like are comfortable because they bring you back to like your home state, but they end up hurting other people. Yeah. Chrissy, what's that like on the other side? Yeah, I felt like a burden. I felt Hmm. like I couldn't make him happy. And I knew I knew that wasn't my job, but it was like nothing made him happy. Um, Hmm. And then I finally gave up trying. And that's when he had to go help himself. Yeah, that was that was the real gift of and I realize now, you know, addressing what Lindsay said earlier, it's like, those coping mechanisms and those systems serve you to this point. The problem is, is they hurt everyone else first without you even knowing it. And then they start hurting you. And then you're like, wait a second. Like, I feel terrible all the time. Mm. Like, and what I was, you know, my coping mechanisms, you know, I was like, those served me in these seasons, but then you know, it's like that law of diminishing returns. They don't serve you anymore. And so you have to learn how to change everything. Mm, it's kind of an unearthing for sure. Oh, it's <laughs> Relearning. Unsettling. Yeah. And it's so hard. And it's you, I think too, when you have so much of your identity or your character development um, built into what you can accomplish or what you can do for others, whether it's your family, your friends, your work, whatever. I think what's hard is when you have to like zoom out of that, you just are like, I don't even know what to do, what to be or how to be anymore. Yeah. And that's really hard. Throughout this conversation, Sam and Chrissy are so vulnerable. And their story illustrates a situation I think so many of us find ourselves in when we're in close relationship with people. Whether it's a partner, a friend, a parent, a coworker, our individual experiences are always different and our coping mechanisms have a way of playing off one another. But unless we actively choose to make a change, many of us will continue to exist in unhealthy relationship patterns for years. We asked Chrissy to expound on what changed in their relationship to bring about a shift and how they became awake to know something needed to change. 
I kept saying to myself, if I could just be better, if I could just be better at, you know, I'll make more money, I'll, I'll get the house clean, I'll rush home and I'll make dinner first. I'll like, I thought it was tasks that I had to do. Mm. And then mm. when those things didn't work to make him happy, I realized that that's not my job. And also I was in therapy at the time. So I had really good guidance and counsel and realized like, it was at this moment, my therapist said, you're actually not being a good wife. You're actually mm. enabling him. And I was mm. like, what? Like, it just was a huge bomb, light bulb moment. And that was the game changer. It gave me courage to put a boundary down. It gave me courage in love to put this boundary down. And that's when he, I would say, sort of hit rock bottom it was really hard to watch. It was hard to hold my boundary, but I did it. And that's the thing that made all the difference because that's when he knew he needed to help himself. Mm. Yeah. So, that's okay. an interesting dynamic and like place to be in a relationship where you are watching the other person come to this realization of something you can't, they can't only do for themselves. And you're like, I could help with that. But I love the realization that your therapist is like, you actually can't. You are a therapist. And so what did that look like to like know some of these things and then actually like live them out? Uh, um, I feel like that would be a dichotomy for me. It was so hard. I probably, it's probably why I never, I didn't see couples for years. <laughs> I have enough, like being married is hard enough. I got to figure this out. But it's hard. I mean, because when you're a therapist, you're in a different role. You're like, mm-hmm. job is to understand this dynamic or this person. But when you're living it, it's completely different. So I could notice some things, but it's like I couldn't notice the dysfunction without the help of another therapist. So yeah. even though I am a therapist, you have to have somebody else helping you if you're in a really hard spot like that. And that's when I was, you know, gaslighting myself. So yeah, I would say it didn't really help at all being a therapist. <laughs> her, her, her window of tolerance had spread so much that she wasn't seeing, and you know, and at that point too, we had three young kids. Yeah. Building a house. And, and our, the, <gasps> our phase of life was so busy. I mean, it's still busy, but it yeah. was, we had so many other distractions, really. And that's, yeah. that's what it was. And honestly, the greatest thing that happened for me, not for her, but for me in starting this journey was uh, hitting rock bottom during the pandemic. Yeah. Mm. Will you say more about that? I think what happened is that as with, and I think we even talked about it at Onsite, is that when you're fully distracted and you're living in a survival mode for so long, you know, we were living in survival mode because we had three kids and we've not had, our kids have been spirited children. And <laughs> right. We call them spicy at our house. <laughs> so spicy, like seriously spicy. We had taken on a pretty large building project for ourselves and which is a feat even in a normal time. And then literally the pandemic happened oh, wow. and then everything shut down and it was, yeah, yeah. and what's hard is that we live in a state of distraction continually. And this Mm -hmm. was like the first time where it was like, this is it. There's nothing else. Mm -hmm. And that's when all of your bad habits, bad coping, you know, everything starts to come to the surface. And that led me to knowing I had to get help. And luckily a friend of mine had been to onsite and was like, dude, you should go to onsite. And it changed everything. I think for me, I really learned about divine timing because mm. if I'm honest, I, I, could, I could see the ways that he was suffering and I wished I could help him and change it. And I would, I would try to even therapize him sometimes and say like, this is what you need or this is what you're doing. And none of it worked on him. And mm. so I realized like I can't be his wife and his therapist. And then when the pandemic hit, it was the perfect storm for him, um, and it was the right time. So I was like, I guess I, I can't. It's not in my power to rush healing for anybody. 
God, but that's frustrating. (laughs) (laughs) It was so hard for her. But every time I would get frustrated or I would Mm -hmm. get super low at the state of our relationship or our, how our family operated, I tapped into my intuition and I would pray. Mm -hmm. And I literally would hear God say, hang in there. He's going to get better. You're going Mm. to do something with this. You're going to help heal other people and other relationships. And so I don't know where that came from. I think it's God or, you know, me tapping into my intuition with God. But I was like, okay, I'll hold on to that. And so that's sort of like how I used my intuition and my faith to not like perpetuate abuse or anything. Like it was just wait for the right time for this person to sort of wake up. And Mm. it, but it also took for me to stop enabling the behavior. Hey friends, Mackenzie here. I wanted to quickly interrupt this interview to share a short story with you. A few years ago, I was listening to an onsite alum share their story and something clicked inside of me. I realized that while nothing was wrong in my life, I actually began to wonder if there was more I was missing. What if the overwhelming feeling of anxiety and stress that I had just accepted as my normal didn't have to be a part of my life? What if my relationships didn't drain me and I could actually set the boundaries to create the type of relationships I wanted to exist in? What if I could interrupt the narratives that I had just accepted as fact? Shortly after, I attended Onsite's Living Center program. And I started on my own journey of more, more peace, more clarity, more fun, more wholeness. I want to invite you to explore that more. There's nothing wrong with you. But what if there's more? If you've been considering an on-site program for a while, or if this is the very first time, I invite you to dare to consider the possibility that the more you're seeking is actually something we all deserve. You can explore our offerings at experienceonsite.com or connect with one of our incredible admissions team members at 1-800-341-7432. They'd love to have a confidential call with you and connect you to the right resource for you. What I love about Sam and Chrissy's story is that they love the other person with open hands. They are such a beautiful example of loving someone with boundaries. In this interview, we all discuss the hesitancy that someone might feel when you're in a relationship with someone who's struggling. You want to do their work for them. We want to fix them, but surrender is really the necessary option and the only way for them to find lasting healing. Lindsay asked Chrissy if it was daunting when Sam headed to onsite, and honestly, I was encouraged by her answer and loved how they addressed something a lot of people express after an onsite experience. How do I go back into old places and patterns when you feel like you've experienced a shift? It can be shocking to the people you love. And I loved how they were honest and raw about what that transition looked like for them. I don't think it was daunting for me because we had hit such a low and I was just like, this is our only hope right now. And... Mm -hmm. So I was happy that he was there and happy for the space that we needed while he was there. And then when he came home, it was just like, I don't know who this person is. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, he was a lot happier. He was a lot more grounded in reality and truth. And he was starting to learn about himself and like a different, he like came home with a different worldview. Mm. And that was what I thought was really refreshing and it didn't like fix everything like perfectly. We still had to like learn to reconnect. We still had to heal over time, but yeah, it was, it was comforting for me. Yeah. I'm curious to hear more about kind of what that reentry looked like. I've heard a Esther Perel quote where she talks about in your lifetime, you'll be in three or four different committed relationships and often it'll be with the same person. And so what was that process, that transition, that negotiation looking like as this new version of Sam came in and you kind of were in relationship with a new person while also being someone you'd been with for, I make up a long time. So what did that look like? Oh, it was humbling Mm. for him and me because he came home very humbled and knew he had to do 
a lot of work to to heal our connection. And he was yeah. su- like there was no ego involved with that. So I feel like okay, yeah. like he 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 held my fire. He held space for the ad. He held space for the anger. He knew he had to reconnect and heal over time and to sort of live it. And so I think it grew over time when I saw him actually living out the practices of the Living Center program. And so I think it was like, okay, yeah, I'm learning who this person is now. And now I'm different because this person's different. So like uh, the way I connect with him is different. So yeah, it just took that time to learn who we are now, especially since the climate of the world had also changed and our roles had changed, our our jobs had changed. It was it was just so much change. I I think too when I came home from the Living Centered program, I think what I knew it was going to take a really long time. Yeah. And that if she was patient, and some people, you know, some partners that probably come home are just like who are you? Like, what? No, you're not the, you, you didn't change, whatever. But she afforded me that empathy and that patience that yeah. gave me a place and gave me the weeks, the months to show up, you know, learn how to be this new person. And then when I would fail, she also afforded me that grace because that's the one thing that we learned in the living center is like, you're not going to do this right. I remember coming home and, and honestly being so like afraid I had done so much damage that it was irreparable. And she afforded me that grace and that love and that empathy, but also mm-hmm. gave me really strong boundaries. We're like, Hey, you know, which you yeah. at stake here. And I think that was one of the real gifts that she gave me was allowing to reconnect in healthy ways with our kids, just in our own day-to-day life, and then with her. Mm. That seems really painful, but also really loving to yourself and to him, Chrissy. (laughs) Like, I just, I just like that. It sounds like an act of love for both of you. Yeah, it was. And I'm not perfect. (laughs) (laughs) More perfect than me. We think you are. (laughs) Like, I'm not perfect, but yeah, it, it was yeah. it was an act of love. But yeah, maybe that's where some of my training came in is mm-hmm. that I could always see, um, I could see his inner child. I could see how hurt he was. And yeah, so it was worth, you know, being there and, and letting him grow and change. Mm-hmm. At this point, we started talking about Sam's experience at the Living Center program. As you'll hear Lindsay jokingly say, he talks about his experience as such a radical shift in himself and their family and their marriage. But in our conversation, Sam talked about his willingness to fully lean into the experience. Not fully knowing what to expect, he even talked about having a conversation with another participant and how they made a pact with one another to be as vulnerable as possible. He believes that vulnerability and a willingness to trust the process, as we like to say, made way for the connections that he discovered in his experience. Sam, hearing your transformation sounds so dramatic, you know, and I imagine if I hadn't experienced a living center program for myself that I'd be like, what happened there? You know, (laughs) so I just am curious how um, if there was like an experience within the program or like a light bulb moment within sort of the week. I know it it is sort of a process and the whole thing just unfolds, (laughs) but it was there one thing that kind of like felt like it was the clarity that you needed to come out on the other side. So Kathy, who was my group facilitator, she was a phenomenal therapist. And um, one of our group members was sharing, and I remember just like, crying and holding that Mm. space and sitting with someone's pain. And it it was like this, like we were crossing over into a new way of, of empathy and being, and like feeling that, like that character come off in those rooms and having that practice is really where Mm. I felt like for me, at least like, 
I was like, oh, you can be this way. Mm. And that was a, like, I was like, I don't have to just do, I can be. Mm. And that was, and, and our therapist, Kathy, was so good about that. And, and sometimes I'd go up and talk to her afterwards and I'd end up crying or like talking about like, you know, some of my dysfunction with her. And she was like, it's okay. You have the rest of your life to show up differently. Mm. That's so tender. Um, I'm just really taking in this conversation how like just tender you are. And it's really, um, it's really encouraging for my heart to see like a man just display that really vulnerably. And I wonder, was that something that's like kind of always been in you of like, hey, I'm leaning into vulnerability and this is who I am. I also, I have gotten to watch your videos on (laughs) Chrissy's Instagram. And so I just am like just a puddle, I think. <laughs> I think that's what you have done. So everyone go and check those out. Are they called Sunday Sermons? Is that what you've been yeah. doing? Yeah. Yes? Yes. Okay. So have you always been vulnerable? Has there been an element? Um, and what does that look like? I think there's just sometimes men that. aren't allowed to do that. She might. Yeah, let's I, hear it. Let her weigh in and then I'll I'll tell you a little, yeah. a little more. Okay. Yeah, he's always been different. Um, when we started dating, like he would write me poems and he would get like every cooking magazine there was like, and he knows how to cook really well. Um, so he didn't really care about like typical masculinity. Yeah. And I noticed that right away about him. He was like, yeah, I like it. I like this. I'm going to, I'm going to go for it or I'm going to learn about it if I like it. I liked that confidence about him. And I knew he was different in that way that he was really soft and tender in many ways. And That's probably also something that I saw even when he was unhealthy was that he didn't want to be that way. And so, but there were things because of our programming or our upbringing that he might have like regurgitated or said, because I had the same, you know, sort of thing as well, where I would toe the line of this like you know, belief because that's what I've always believed. But like, I can remember when the Me Too movement happened and I was like, yeah, this is like, this is good. Like this, it's hard to be a woman. And I was like starting to notice things in my own, um, you know, early Mm -hmm. adolescence or early twenties. I was like, yeah, this happened to me too. Like this happened. And then I, I can remember a little bit at first, there was a tiny bit of like, well, like women, you know, like he didn't quite understand at first. So like a little bit of it is educational. Like, and then I think once he went to onsite and the empathy that he learned yeah. really gave him the capacity to step in someone else's shoes and to, and he can do this for anybody. It's not just women. Like he can step into somebody else's shoes and he can feel what they're feeling. And that is a natural thing that he's always had. Hmm. That's so beautiful. what what I've come to learn is I would have been considered a highly sensitive person as a kid. And so <laughs> I didn't know that language because I yeah. was born in 78. So yep. childhood development was very limited. And and I, I suffered from, and I, I have biological anxiety, but I kind of didn't know that because it wasn't something that was part mm-hmm. of our culture, really. Yeah. And I wasn't hyperactive. I wasn't, but I, I could feel and I would get really nervous. And now I realize that was just me trying to find that homeostasis of like how I can get through the, the world. And yeah. it, when you suffer from anxiety, it's like the silent joy killer. Sometimes mm-hmm. you end up adopting a character or a role or a shell of armor so that you're not so hurt. Yeah. But I was really gifted. I have a, an incredibly empathetic mom mm-hmm. and I have a little sister. And I actually had like, I could really connect with a lot. Like one of my first childhood friends was a little girl. And mm-hmm. I remember just loving people from that early yeah. on. And so I always had a little more of a sensitive side and I've been made fun of for years, all the, you know, that I'm too sensitive or whatever. I'm curious, as you mentioned, the highly sensitive person, how sort of this 
enlightenment that y'all have experienced, this sort of centeredness that you found, this coming back to yourself, how that has like affected y'all as parents mm. and holding space for little beings that are sort of in their own process of growing and developing and learning coping mechanisms, but also just trying to survive and find themselves. Give mm. Lindsay and I your wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> We have little. Uh, get help when you need it. We mm. have done that for all of our children, whether it's like parenting, coaching, or play therapy, or therapists for our oldest, you know, at different times. Like, we just really lean on that community of help, like, that there's mm-hmm. so much help out there. Um, and then we validate a lot, we apologize a lot. And I think that's like, our bread and butter is like just validation, apology. And then we try to share our tools with them. So like, yeah, let's take some deep breaths. Let's do a meditation together. Let's, you know, talk about that more, you know, and, and we just really tag team a lot. We're like, okay, I think this kid needs you more right now. (laughs) I, I think too, is I realized there's no one way to parent each kid. And I will say, mm. I fail at this at least a couple times a day. Yeah. And because our kids are always changing and their preferences can change from the morning to the noon to the evening. So it's, it's almost of like, I, I remember coming to our kids and I said, listen, I'm learning how to do this to be your dad. I mm-hmm. don't know how to do this right. I said, I'm just learning this as you're learning to be whatever age you are. And I told them, it's like, if there's something that I am not giving you that you need from me, I need you to tell me and I will not be angry. I said, please tell me so that I can try to do this better. And I said, and I'll probably fail and I'll have to apologize, but I don't know. So if I'm, if there's, if I'm doing something that you do not like, I said, there are house rules, there are boundaries, there you can't eat ice cream for breakfast. But if there's something that I'm not doing enough, tell me so that I can Mm -hmm. at least try. Because I realized, and I asked a friend of mine, I said, do you think your dad ever said, like, is there anything you want me to do for you? And I was like, I don't think that was even present in those time frames. Do it because I said so, Era. Yeah. Yes, a lot of it. You guys, I said so. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you said specifically to our kids, and I started to after you started saying this, you said, how can I love you better? That's mm. yeah. oh, so good. And our middle son <laughs> said, more hugs, please. More hugs, more snuggles. <laughs> My 11-year-old goes, you're a good dad. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I said, how can I love you more, though? And he's like, I don't know. I'll think about it. I'll let you know. And I was like, all right, cool, dude. I got it. And our... Middle guy is like, more hugs, more snuggles. And I was like, I can do that. That's oh, not a problem. And then our five-year-old oh. just probably yelled at us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Oh. Uh, what you're saying reminds me of sort of, I think a lot of times there's a lot of fear around doing kind of that family of origin work. Yeah. Because um, I, I know I felt that in some seasons of therapy that it felt like they were trying to pinpoint whatever challenges were happening in my life right now on something that my parents did or didn't do. And one of the things I really appreciated about my Living Center program was it was like such a graceful way to look at our parents and sort of where they came from and why they might be the way they are and sort of seeing that bigger picture. It was more about like, oh, there are things, like you said, that I, messages that I needed to hear that I didn't hear, but it wasn't necessarily that something that they had meant to do something wrong or intended to do something wrong or had even done something wrong. It was just a miss. Yeah. And so um, just you talking about that reminded me of like that there was having grace for them in that moment. And then that in turn gives us grace for the moments that we're in as parents, because yeah, we're, there's no way we're going to do it right. Like we're juggling too much. We're human. We're messes, all of it. It's, yeah. it's funny. Cause I, I talked to my roommate from onsite. I'm still friends with him. 
and we were talking about this. And I said, you know, your parents did the best they could mm. with the tools they had. You know, yeah. and I'm 45, you know, the tools that my parents had were really limited to whatever came before them and whatever they got from their parents. So I thought, I, you know, and it's, it's hard because sometimes you get these moments where you're like, I wish my parents would have done this. Well, they did the best yeah. and they just, they're like, all right. And like, this is all we have. This is all yeah. we have. And if they're pouring out from an empty cup, well, that was, at least we got some of that. But then it's our turn to take a responsibility and go, we don't have to live that way and we can do this work. Hmm. They might not understand it though. And that's another thing that you have to just go, (laughs) it's not for you to worry about. You guys did a good job, but the quality of my life, I want to bring it up to a new level so that I can succeed and I feel whole. Yeah. Every night I started doing this when my daughter was young and now she's three, but we sing the daughter song from Sleeping at Last. And one of the lines is, our ceiling is your floor. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really graceful way and something that I've even taken on my own experience and my own family of origin to say like, hey, I get to stand on your shoulders and see farther than you. And again, they may not understand that, but there's just like a real beauty in building on what they're learning. And so I just, I'm dumbfounded that you were to say that to your kids like, How can I love you more? As we got deeper into this conversation, I was really curious for Christy to expound on her passion and the personal work I know she's done around feminine embodiment. Her insight was such a beautiful addition to the episode just before this interview in this series with Kara Elise Campbell, all about trusting and coming home to our bodies. Honestly, I did not expect to be as moved as I was hearing all about how the practice of embodiment and gaining a deeper understanding of the energy she's bringing into different situations has impacted both Chrissy, Sam, and their family. So embodiment for me, I always say, was the missing piece to my therapy and healing from complex Mm. PTSD. And I could just sit in the therapy office and... I would hit a wall cognitively. I just couldn't go beyond it. And then my symptoms were so physiological that I would have, for no reason, just a panic attack and then be swept away in anxiety from my physical sensations. So I once I found embodiment work, I specifically found nonlinear movement, which is a therapy, somatic therapy that Michaela Boehm created. And So I got trained in that in 2019. And for me, it was just having like this beautiful practice of coming home to myself and to listen to my body. It's very simple, but it's so hard because we don't naturally do this. We don't naturally live in our bodies. We don't naturally listen to them or take time to be with them for no reason at all. So when I practiced that, a lot of stuff came up for me through my movements. I'd be like, why am I Mm -hmm. judging myself right now for moving my hips? Oh, my hips were bad growing up. That part of my body was bad. And then I would go into that. So it was like a beautiful marriage of both, like cognition and, you know, physical movement and embodiment. And then I'd be like, well, how do I want to feel? I want to move that out. I want to be able to move my hips. I want to be able to love my body. How do I move in a way that allows me to release those old beliefs and then bring in something new that fits with me? So it was a beautiful practice of just learning who I was and am and who I want to be. Um, But on-site was definitely part of that too, because anything that you're doing physical with therapy, I consider embodiment. Yeah. So psychodrama, experiential therapy is all part of that for me getting out into Mm. nature, being somewhere different than on a couch and doing something is very much the embodiment practice that can help change your brain and live in a different way that is just invaluable to therapy. And I'm like, there's no other way I want to do therapy now or (laughs) coaching because it's so important to have your mind, body, and soul be connected. Mm. That's good. For Someone that is not familiar with embodiment work, that nonlinear movement, what what does that look like? Yeah, it's just really starting on like your hands and knees. It has roots in yoga, but 
it's beautiful because there are no movements. There's or no specific movements. It's spending time with yourself, listening to music without words, dropping your head, closing your eyes, the experience stays inward. And then you just starting to move your body however it wants to move. There are different modalities of it, um, which mm-hmm. I teach in my my coaching program. And that's the beautiful part when you're guided in it is that the the guide can help you move out of habitual movements that maybe you're doing as a result of the freeze response from trauma, but you can also do it on your own. And that's where I started. I was in a woman's circle and the coach was trained in this. And so she was like, just get on a yoga mat, drop your head, close your eyes, put some music on without words and, and let your body feel what it feels. And I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> All right. That seems so scary, <laughs> but I did it. And I was like angry at the time so I was like hitting the mat. I was getting it all out and it felt so good. And I was like, I don't even know what I just did, but that felt mm. amazing. And so when I started practicing yeah. it, I noticed my body responded to my triggers differently. Mm. So like a normal trigger that would have sent me off into a panic attack, my body was neutral. Mm. And so for me, I was like, I have to get trained in this because this works. And that's basically what it is, is like you can just do it for five minutes a day where you just get on your yoga mat, drop your head, close your eyes, listen to some music without words because you don't want to get caught up in your thoughts. And sometimes words do that. And feel, allow your body to feel what it feels, move in a way that feels good. Notice the sensations. Do I feel tense, stuck, achy? Do I feel good? Like you can actually practice focusing on the things Mm. that feel good in your body. And then you can focus on like, what do I want for my life? How do I move in a way that allows my body and my mind and my soul to believe that that's possible for me? So that's just a snippet of like all of the modalities together. So cool. Yeah. So cool. She did this before I went to onsite. And I remember her doing the classes. And this is something that it kind of started to hit home more for me after she got trained in this and after I came from onsite. Because what... To understanding as a cisgendered male, mm-hmm. and we both grew up in faith systems. Yeah, we were taught to like hate our bodies mm-hmm. from day yeah. one, and I know that a lot of those messages came with good intentions, mm-hmm. but were internalized in a, in a in a way that was kind of harmful. And it's yeah. funny because that's one thing that, as a man, I've done nonlinear plenty. Mm-hmm. And it is such a hard thing to be like, okay, dude, you're going to get on this yoga mat and you're just going to move. And I remember doing it the first time. And I think I was one of her traits. Like, she was like, okay, I'm going to practice. You're going to practice this on me. And I was like, like, I'll try anything. This is great. And I had done a lot of yoga for just um, recovery and staying limber. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting now that I've gotten further in this journey, Embodiment is so important for both men and women. Just yeah. kind of move, move out of your regular patterns. That's what I think of embodiment is like, you do this all day. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to, we have to get out of that routine so that you can be present and open to anything else. Hmm. Response or good definition of that. Good job. <laughs> that was so good. I think the productivity piece of my mind would stop me up too of like, is this actually productive? Like just there's no script. There's no way to like reach an end goal. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the whole thing, Most most people say that. And that's why I say you got to do it for more than five minutes in the beginning because the first five minutes you're going to be like, I need to go pick up diapers. I need to go to the grocery store. I could be answering that email. And that is all um, masculine Mm -hmm. energy. And we spend so much time in that which actually sort of mimics the trauma freeze response. Mm. And so when you do nonlinear movement and you do it long enough, you will drop in energetically. And someone once explained it to me like that. She said, in the first five minutes, I'm all up in my head. And then all of a sudden I'm just in my body and I go back to a memory in a childhood that I just needed to remember or process. And I thought that was Mm. a really good example of how you know, once you practice that, it can it gets easier, just like meditation. Yeah. Y'all have kind of mentioned a couple of times, like masculine and feminine energy. Yeah. And I'm just curious, like, 
how y'all think about that within your partnership and how you hold space for each other and whatever energy they're bringing? That's a good question. Yeah. I think I learned about it in when I was doing nonlinear movement and not seeing women's circle. And I was just like, how do I stop feeling so stressed and anxious? And she was like, you're so in your masculine. And I was like, what? And so she had to explain it to me that I was very much like in this go, 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 do, 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 produce, produce, produce role or energy. And that is the masculine. And we need that. Um, Mm -hmm. But we also need, especially as women, we need to learn that we can just be and we can just like be in our bodies. We don't need to do anything more to perfect them. We can flow and and we don't need to push against like our, even our own cycles we push against. And we're just like, let's just forget that we even have a cycle and we do. And so when I finally learned more about myself as a woman and my body as a woman, it helped me balance both it also helped out the partner that was learning it too, because he, yeah. he would definitely be able to tell me, hey, you're really in your masculine. Like, why don't you just go do a meditation or, you know, you can, he made it safe for me to soften. And yeah. he also did that as well, because men have both masculine and feminine energies as well. And so him learning about it was like super cool too, because he he needed to learn to love himself, which mm. definitely comes from the feminine. And it's interesting because when I'm in my masculine and when she's in her masculine, we're just like trying to compete with each other. Who's getting more done? And it's like, and I was like, I'm not keeping score. And she's like, I'm not keeping score. And I was like, oh God, okay, we get to bring this down. Yep. But what I think too for, and this is something that since I went to onsite, I've done a lot of personal development and reading. And it's so interesting because what most men don't realize that it's it's actually super healthy to have that feminine energy because that's how we meet the whole part of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we were taught we are creations of the divine and the divine is both. And so it's okay to soften. But what I learned too is that when we live in a world where if you are a masculine man, well, you can't show any emotions besides anger. Mm -hmm. That is the only normalized emotion, which is not good. It's not healthy because there is sadness. There is love. There is heartbreak. There is, Mm -hmm. there's, we have, we hold the same emotions that Mm -hmm. every woman feels. We just don't, we are taught from day one that these are not safe to express. Yeah. And so it creates a disconnection of that body from that heart space. And that is just, it's one of the great tragedies of our society. Yeah. You mentioned nonlinear movement. What are some other things that people, if they want to start diving into this, could start to explore? Oh, I love feminine archetypes. I loved learning about the feminine archetypes and the masculine ones. Yeah. Yeah. You read that book, King, Lover, Magician, King, Lover, Warrior, Magician. Um, I helped him. I think to anything that is physical. So we do like ice baths, Mm -hmm. the yoga, Breath breath work. There's a lot of things that you can simply do to change the state of this to bring you back into your body. And that's, I mean, a lot of people, they've monetized it. They make all these things. That stuff, though, really helps because we wander around the world just hurrying to the next thing, hurrying to the next thing, and never slowing down. And schedule in time to do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's been just a game changer for us is like opening our mind up to other practices that maybe we weren't raised with, but they're just beautiful. Like slow down, be in nature, smell the roses, like realize that everything's spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. This is it. This is the moment. Mm -hmm. I was thinking as y'all were talking how much I've learned in this conversation and how incredibly vulnerable it is to do a podcast interview with somebody that sort of mirrors you and lives life with you all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just want to thank y'all. You know, it's different, you know, versus just answering 
questions the right way versus having somebody that like sees you and lives it out with you. And um, yeah, the way that y'all have spoken about your healing journey uh, has just been so helpful for me. So thanks for showing up. Thank you. And, and you know what the coolest thing was is that I went to on site in 2020 and then she went, was it 2022? Mm-hmm. And it was so funny because I had talked about my experience and I was like, oh my gosh, babe, it's like the greatest thing. It's so cool. And I remember picking her up from the airport and I was like, oh my gosh, there's my new version of my partner. Because you can't, if, if mm. you go to the living center, I, I don't understand how people could go back yeah. to living the way they before. Yeah. And I was like, this is so cool because now we're going to have this common language and we're, and even though our experiences are going to be completely different, we're going to have those awareness and we're going to be able to have these discussions where it's like, oh, yeah, I had this breakthrough in this. Yeah. And that's, that's the gift, really, of doing healing together, which is incredible because it's very rare, too. A lot, yeah. There's a lot of people that are very resistant to change. And I'm just grateful that she loves me enough to let me change and that we change together. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, when we think about doing this work, I think even people who maybe say, okay, there's some things in my partnership that are hard and I'm, we're going to go and we're going to do a couples intensive or we're going to do work together or I'm going to go to couples therapy. But I love how you both individually went and found healing and that it has brought so much cohesion and like you were saying, common language and really just given you guys a whole different experience of one another. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. I um, am just so encouraged by the two of you. I'm so encouraged in the ways that you are both individually and together helping people find healing and coming more into who they were made to be. And so we are just thank you for the work that you're doing and also just for sitting down with us today. Thank, thank you, you, guys. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a gift. I said this in the interview, but I wanted to reiterate how cool it was to witness Sam and Chrissy's story up close. Their willingness to love the other person enough to not only encourage them to do the work, but to engage in their own healing and change alongside one another was absolutely inspiring. At Onsite, we often say you cannot be deeply connected with others until you're deeply connected to yourself. And as Sam shared, you can't truly love others until you're willing to love and accept yourself. Thanks for listening to The Living Center Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love for you to consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen. It only takes a few seconds to navigate to the show in your app and select the stars to begin your rating. It helps more people find the show, and we really appreciate it. Thanks so much.